myth, magic, medicine, and everything in between. Two doctors talking. Hello again, and welcome to Myth, Magic, Medicine with me, Denise Villamahia. And my guest today is the lovely Heba, Heba, sorry, Heba Ismail, who is a pediatric endocrinologist specializing in type 1 diabetes. And she also has a research interest in the microbiome. So welcome, Heba. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Very so what, to be here. What, what is your main message to the world about the microbiome? Oh. We hear an awful lot about it, but we hear an awful lot about it mostly from the lay press. <laughs> so. Yes. Yes. So, oh, there's, there's a lot to learn. It is such a huge field in such an area that's evolving um, very rapidly, you know, it's hard to keep up with even. But my main message is that, you know, you, you can almost think of the microbiome, which means the bugs that live inside us and on us. And, and by bugs, I mean microbes, not, you know, yeah. insects. The, the ones that are supposed <laughs> to be there. Yeah. Yes. They, um, they, you can almost think of them as a separate um, or not a separate, but an organ of the body. So they're almost mm -hmm. like a part of the body because that when you count the numbers that it's almost more than the numbers of cells we have in our body. Um, and so they have a function and in different parts of our body, they, they do produce a function and they can affect our health. So I think that's, that's the main message. Mm -hmm. In your work with kids with diabetes, how much, how much influence can you have with clients and or patients, sorry, I have to train myself to say clients, patients and parents to, uh, I assume that most of the change that you can make to the microbiome is going to be through dietary changes. And yes. unfortunately, some of the medicines that we use will also knock them out. So how, how, um, how receptive are they to this information? <laughs> Oh, yeah. So it's interesting. Um, they're very receptive. They're very open to it. Um, one of the studies that I'm doing involves taking this prebiotic, um, which is a supplement. So mm -hmm. prebiotic basically is this indigestible fiber. So we know fibers in fruit and vegetables, and those are more digestible fibers, meaning us as humans can digest them, our intestines mm -hmm. can. But the indigestible ones are the ones that we can't utilize or use, but the, the, the bugs, the bacteria, the, the viruses, the different microbes in our intestines can use and, and, and utilize them to, to produce these good chemicals that have this good effect on our body and more anti-inflammatory effect. So, um, so that when I approach people about that prebiotic supplement, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are very excited about it and they're yeah. like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. Sure. Um, and that's primarily for research. It's not something that I can recommend clinically, although mm -hmm. I do get people asking about probiotics and would you recommend that? And I'd say, you know, it doesn't hurt to, to right. take that. Right. Um, and the difference just to clarify between a prebiotic and a probiotic is the probiotic you are giving, um, specific and select bacteria right that have been shown in studies to be right. beneficial and basically healthy. seeding the gut yeah right okay. the prebiotic is more of a broad spectrum because a lot of the good bacteria that are available in probiotics and not available in probiotics 
can benefit from that and grow and flourish in our intestines. So, okay. yeah. So have you seen any, have, at what stage is your research? Is it very preliminary? Do you, have you had any yeah, results yet? Yes, <laughs> I do. It's, it's early. Um, we don't have yet the full number of, of people more in depth, but we, um, we have looked at some of the preliminary data and it's, it's exciting. We're seeing that there's this um, improvement in glucose control um, that happens in those, if we give it to those individuals specifically who were just recently diagnosed, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, if they took it properly and it's only for four weeks, we're seeing that glucose control in some of them, not all of them, mm -hmm. continue to be um, near normal up to years from diagnosis, up to four years now is, is yeah. Really? Do you have to manipulate their diet? Do they have to be more careful about their diet now? No, no. Actually, it's a very simple study where we say, hey, you follow this diabetic diet and take the prebiotic for four weeks or follow your diabetic diet without the prebiotic for four weeks. So just to- Okay, no, I meant to get the results. If, if, they've, if they've been on this diet plus the prebiotic, you're saying that the, the effect will last- for a, for years afterwards. So at what are they? Of course, it depends. If they're teenagers, they might. Be, we were talking about that before we actually officially recorded here. <laughs> but working from what I remember when I was a million years ago when I was a pediatrician, working with young diabetics, kind of heartbreaking sometimes, but but doable. But adolescent diabetics were honestly a nightmare some of the time yeah, <laughs> yeah it depends yeah absolutely I don't know I think yeah um so so the question is are we manipulating their diet also yes or, yeah so no we're not we're not changing anything they just take it with with some kind of food because it's not something you that can dissolve in water mm -hmm. um, but um no, there's there's no specific, at least for this pilot study, we're not doing any specific manipulation of the diet. Mm -hmm. um, but back to your point about adolescence, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm a rare person who enjoys working with them <laughs> because you know you you see in front of your eyes those those beautiful kids, like just their personality right. evolving in front of your right. eyes. Right. Yeah, I must have been, I had in, in my continuity clinic, if you remember way back when you did that. Yes. <laughs> I yes. had some kids, my long-term kids weren't, I didn't have any diabetics. We had a very strong endocrine program and they siphoned off, but um, I had some kids with lupus and those, I really had a bond with some of those kids. I, I met them so often. And I imagine that's a similar bond you have with them, which is also of course, how you can help them stick to the rules because they've got a connection and, and it's part of part of what drives me crazy at the moment about what's happening with healthcare. it's like oh you changed insurance tough go find another doctor it's and the cost uh, of insulin it's it's ridiculous oh, yeah, yeah absolutely ridiculous yeah and so yeah absolutely and you know it depends on when i met them in their life if if they were diagnosed very young or, or older but you know, the, the, the relationship will differ that way. But I think the, the way that I found the most success with is, you know, I tell them, this is how it is. This is what you need to do. You are capable of doing it. This is called tough love. You've mm -hmm. got to do this, right? 
And so they they understand better that it's coming from a good place rather than me dictating or yeah. kind of the hard part for them, I think, is they see their, you know, we download their their meter or their continuous glucose monitor. There's all these numbers there. And so they feel like they're being graded in a way. Mm-hmm. It's all numbers, right? So they they have almost this sense of a teacher-student relationship. And we try to change, I, I at least I try to change that with mm-hmm. them. So, yeah. Hmm. What yeah. made you what made you interested in endocrinology initially? Okay, so interestingly, I um I was always interested in working with children. So pediatrics mm-hmm. was my initial interest. I um at first was actually very interested in becoming an intensivist mm-hmm. and a pediatric intensivist. And um where I had trained my initial training, um it was a quaternary center, so meaning we get referrals even from other countries um, mm-hmm. in the surrounding area. And so there were a lot of pre-terminal cases, like really sad cases. And so mm-hmm. it became very depressing for me to, to continue in that specialty. Um, and I was trying to avoid um, being a diabetologist and an endocrinologist because I have type 1 diabetes. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. But it gives you such insight. <laughs> well, it, it it just had to it it just yeah, had to get work it right. Yeah, <laughs> it had to, I had to get to there. <laughs> it didn't click right away. So then, by default, I thought, well, what other areas would I be interested in, and where I feel like I could, you know, be helpful? Mm-hmm. And so, by yeah, of course, it made sense to to become a pediatric endocrinologist and diabetes yeah. specialist. So yeah. So I I omitted when I was introducing you that you are actually from Egypt originally, and that's okay. where you trained. I I'm fascinated by the differences in the approach to medicine. Obviously, anatomy and physiology is the same everywhere, and we either get our drugs from here or Germany. But <laughs> um, what what differences do you see in the approach, perhaps, to diabetes in the two countries? Oh, that's so it's a very limited resource country unless, you know, you um, so everything is subsidized, especially, mm-hmm. you know, where I worked and trained in an academic center. Um, and oftentimes we we actually as physicians donated money to the patients so they can go buy the medication. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it's um, so. So there's, there's, there's a few differences. Like I love how things are very um, clear cut, systematic approach here in the U.S. And, you know, there's, there's clear guidelines. The downside to the guidelines is you don't use your judgment um, as, as much as you, you're just used to following. It almost becomes rules, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the other form of training, which is actually really it's very strict. It's, it's, you know, we were a former British colony, so it's a very British, (laughs) you know, strict six years of medical school, you know, one year of training and then three years of residency training. So it was, it was very, um, very strict and very um, dogmatic, but, but there wasn't as much, um, um, maybe because of the volume of, of patients and the limited resources, you used your judgment a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so I think I, the, the, the difference between a physician from that area who has never been here and a physician here is that they, they might be um, in that region a bit more um, resourceful 
-hmm. and they have to come up with solutions on their own rather than maybe yeah. the habit of let's order a ton of labs and imaging right something hits right so yeah and this is I, it's certainly not universal but there are a lot of I, I watch when I was still working clinically um, you see a lot of younger doctors who are like, skip, the labs aren't back yet. I can't think. That's the downside to that. That's yeah. Definitely <clears throat> having guidelines and standardizing as much as possible is mm -hmm. important. But also we forget the personalization piece and, and using your judgment. I mean, you, you've invested so much time into learning and training. You are capable of using your judgment. There's, right. there's, little lack of confidence there yeah. because so we rely on, on we're not yeah. we're not quite at the ai doctor yet part we're, yeah <laughs> we're, we're so used to the the guidelines so that's that's the main difference right. how about how about um culturally uh, is there well, there's differences obviously within the us but a different attitude towards health in general in egypt than in here oh yeah, yeah. uh yeah i agree i think i think um it's so interesting so i think the way it's portrayed in movies and, and and classically in the media there is that you go to the doctor as, you know, your life savior. It's the last resort, right? You go there and everything, like this doctor is God almost, right? So they... So a strong placebo effect. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> but it tells you how anxious they are, first of all, but they're also like very believing and trusting of you. You know, because you are the person they go to when it's really necessary, right? Mm -hmm. There's not as much practice of the preventative medicine. And I'm talking about the general population. Of course, obviously, there are people who do, you know, practice preventative medicine and mm -hmm. socioeconomically can afford that. But, um, you know, the majority of the general population, you know, it's, it's, it's that. Plus, there's also this passive approach to recommendations you know you you wish you could educate them more and you try to educate them but as we were just talking before the recording started you know some people may be wanting to but they're not ready for it and so they shut down and like well mm -hmm. I need to tell you you know so we can have a two-way conversation so there's definitely less of that yeah mm -hmm. yeah okay. do you think you'd ever go back and practice that I don't know. It's hard. It's it's. I would love to help out. Yeah, fa you have family still. Yeah, yeah. family yeah. still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's very interesting. Okay, so now let's pivot again. Mm -hmm. Why don't I talk about your? Is it a blog or is it a newsletter that you send? Oh, it's What's it's that? a blog. Yeah, it's very it's very new, very much in its infancy. Yeah, yeah. yeah but I love the title. <laughs> Also, having boiled my share of green bananas for, in order to use them as substitute eggs because I'm vegan. Uh, <laughs> so, awesome. so oh, good. <laughs> Talk That's about awesome. that, please. Why did you choose that apart from being a snappy name? <laughs> so, um, so what I read when I was researching the microbiome and trying to learn more about the microbiome is that our ancestors, and especially people in Europe, used to eat, um, well, Europe and other countries, used to eat raw potatoes and green bananas. And that that is actually, that has more of that indigestible fiber that we were referring to earlier. And that helps your, your biome or the, the, the good bugs in your um, intestines to flourish and grow. 
Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, you know, we've always sort of shifted towards the the more ripe bananas. Um, They're sweeter. <laughs> yeah, they are sweeter. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You have to be careful if you're going to try green bananas because they can cause an indigestion because our intestines aren't used to that right, right. now. Right? So you have to do it in small increments. Um, but it came to mind that, you know, hey, let's just say instead of eat your apple a day, <laughs> eat your green bananas. Um, so yeah, so I started this blog just to educate the public a little bit about the microbiome and, and the effects of that, um, the health of the microbiome on our health as well. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that information will be in the show notes so people can go and hopefully will increase your your circulation <laughs> a little That'd bit. That'd be great. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. I just want to educate people really. Right. It's, yeah, that's the whole point. So yeah. Is there anything else you would like to say to our listeners? You can talk um, about absolutely anything you like. You can talk about Egyptian food and how it's fabulous. <laughs> I will say, and this is not scientific, that I did notice. So I had not visited Egypt in like 10 years since I had my kids. I was busy. And then I visited um, a couple of summers ago. And I noticed that, of course, the food is different, right? And it's very mm-hmm. Mediterranean, very similar to the Greek cuisine. And I was going by with two meals a day and didn't, my portion sizes were smaller and I did not Lots feel hungry. Food. And it was, it was very strange. I mean, I was there for 10 days and I lost weight and it was, you know, feeling lighter and, you know, feel good. Um, and then I, I came back. And I swear, soon as the, the airplane landed, something in the air, I was hungry. <laughs> I was immediately <laughs> hungry. I'm like, could it be like the air, the quality of the air is affecting my microbiome so quickly? The water? I'm not sure what it was, but I was immediately so hungry. It's very strange. It really is. But yeah, no, it's not scientific, but I, I wish someone would study it like geographically how you know the environment affects your biome as well Mm -hmm. um but yeah no that's um yeah that's not not egyptian recipes necessarily hibiscus is wonderful it's a great tea it's it's good for blood pressure yeah Yeah. it's great for blood pressure and it's also and it's it's the this thing that's been passed down from generation to generation Mm -hmm. in that region is as in drink that that'll help your high blood pressure and I've, I've used it myself and I found that effect too, but it's also good for your microbiome. So mm-hmm. uh, that's only one thing I mentioned in there in that blog. Um, but yeah. Do you, do you advise people to, to eat fermented foods like sauerkraut and the equivalents from various no, places? That's a great point. I, I don't, I, I would love to recommend it. I think, you know, I'm limited in what I can suggest in clinic. Um, but I do it myself, you know, mm-hmm. caper and, and um, um, all the fermented, you know, or added even um, to yogurt, um, the sort of probiotics. Yeah, I, I uh, definitely do that myself and my kids as well. So, yeah. All right. Any other tidbits? I Did you want to t- talk about adolescence too? And I would love to. I would love to. Adolescence is a terrible time for most people having managed to rate raise my my kids are now in their 30s but i do remember that era that was tough in many ways my they were reasonably well behaved but 
but it's not, it's hard. It's hard to watch your kids struggle with things that they have to struggle with because you need to learn those things. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a hard time and both for both parties. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you're dealing with an essentially life-threatening disease. Yeah. Diabetes is not to be fooled with. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So chronic, a lifelong disease and and those, those patients really struggle and they have the worst diabetes control. You know, parents try their best and, and there's a lot of resistance and, you know, fights and meltdowns and, um, and they, they, they have to make a choice. My relationship with my child versus, you know, their mm -hmm. diabetes control sometimes. Um, and those are the ones sometimes that often come into the hospital with diabetic coma, so it's known as diabetic um, ketoacidosis or DKA, or severe lows, low blood sugars, because they take, they took too much insulin or took insulin and didn't eat, right? And, and, and so it's, it's very, um, it's hard on us as physicians, it's hard on the patients, it's hard on the parents, and it's, it's a really rough time. They, right. it, the, and the other thing that occurs to me is that the student athlete has an additional stress on their ability yeah. to control things. I mean, I think things have come a long way since I was in practice. You've got it pumps now. You've got, you, yeah. yeah, the technology has really helped, but it's still emotionally, it's hard for kids. It is. It is. It is. It's, I, I totally agree. And I think, I think helping them and, you know, we were saying earlier that they have a higher rate of depression and anxiety and sometimes eating disorders. And so, you know, trying to help them through that very rough period, trying to reassure them that things will be okay, but also challenge them and push them to do what's right, because pretty soon in a few years, they're going to be on their own, and they need to learn the skills to do the right thing mm -hmm. um, and learn those good habits because it becomes second nature. And so it's it's always a, um, a challenging clinic, but I I would say that I personally enjoy working with adolescents because their just personalities are all very different and rich and all hormonal, you know. Right. And, but I, I can't remember whether it was recorded or not, but earlier we were saying if you can, if you have a steady relationship with kids, if you can have, if you can build that relationship, it's great. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and, and for, yeah. right. Now you're, you're in a major center though, right? I am. Yes. Yeah. Major yeah. referral center here, at Indiana university. So yeah. Yeah. Which helps because yeah. most, mostly they take most people's insurance. So the insurance changes, they can still stay with the same doctor. All of those ugh, things yeah. that drive us nuts. I agree. Yeah. The hard part is when they, they um, are ready to graduate, they turn 19 and 20 and they're like, but we want to stay for a little longer. I'm like, right. okay, I'll see you a little longer, but at some point you got to go. Yeah. So. We used to have that with our cardiology, especially kids who'd had surgeries that had not been available a few you know decades before. So adult cardiologists didn't know what to do with them so I they bet. tended to stay 25 was pretty much the cutoff but um. yeah. wow yeah no I bet I bet that's very true yeah but yeah, yeah. no it's a it's a tough age and I really feel for them you know as someone <clears throat> type 1 diabetes I went through that you know that that um, period of resistance and not not wanting to have diabetes and why me and why do I have to do all this? This isn't fair. And, 
you know, life is hard and all those hormones are working against them. Right. right? And of course, it's also, and this is your life forever. This is not yeah. something, it, oh, yes, we'll find a cure for this, or at least re, we'll be lovely if we do eventually. We'll, we'll find we find cures for all sorts of things, but the, the likelihood is that the person you diagnose today, it's lifelong for them. So that's hard. It's hard to hear as an adult that you, this is it. <laughs> it's yeah. very, very hard for kids. Yeah. Although again, you can have a very, you know, fruitful and successful life. Like, yes, you know, but it, but it requires vigilance. It does. It does. And it requires work and not everyone can do it. Some people do it on their own and are very motivated. And some people need a lot of hand holding and, and, and challenging and, and pushing. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a but, tough one. It really is. What, what kind of support are you in your tertiary center, quaternary center, able to, to offer? You have psychi psychologists available to them. Do you have social no, workers I, available I, I, to them? We do make referrals. Of course, they, as everyone in the country, are backed up, um, our psychologists. And, and so we don't have necessarily a, a special dedicated person. Um, but we do have social workers who do you have them and help them with resources. Are you able to offer groups so that the kids the kids can help each other? Because I think it's really beneficial. Absolutely, yeah. you're right. Yes, so there are groups for even transition into college and groups for, um, as I had mentioned er earlier, I think is, you know, when they were diagnosed little, they didn't receive the education and training for managing diabetes. So when they turn into that adolescent age group, there's classes for them as and, well. And just to realize they're not the only one in the world because they're probably the only one in their class. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And we do refer them to local support groups, whether it's through JDRF or, um, you know, there's other families that have kids with diabetes, they, they're willing to connect. So we do, we do try to support them. I wish there was more support um, in the community with, you know, just like, babysitters who know about diabetes so the parents can take a little break right or no respite know, care yeah 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 so it's a challenge but yeah how do you find how do you find parents obviously have to learn and then you have grandparents who have to learn as well they're the people that my family was not in this country so I didn't have that but there, there's pluses and minuses to grandparents because they raised you so they must sort of know what they're doing but but um, there's always some philosophical difference do you find any any pushback from grandparents because that I don't want to do that that way everybody eats this in my house that sometimes, sort of thing. sometimes especially I think if they had been diagnosed with diabetes whether type 1 or more so with type 2 diabetes because they think you know they they think they understand but we try to explain that you know kids are different and every person with diabetes is different in their management. Um, so sometimes they are more lax with following recommendations and we try to educate. Um, mm -hmm. But a lot of times they're very willing to, you know, they'll come to the appointments or do um, what we call caregiver um, virtual classes so they can learn and help the child. Um, but yeah, yeah. What's the youngest type two diabetic you've seen? I've or is, seen is that a different a different clinic? <laughs> no, I, I I so we do try to have them in separate clinics just um, to make it easier. But I have seen and managed people with type two diabetes. I, the youngest I've seen is down to age eight. Yeah. Um, okay. 
And unfortunately, you know, the pandemic has caused this problem with a lot of kids. Um, we had this big, and it's been published, we've had this big um, uh, flux of patients who were newly diagnosed with type, one, type 2 diabetes who were more adolescents. And I think it's because they were sitting at home, easy access to food, they were doing virtual classes. And so a lot of them gained weight if they were pre-diabetic, borderline, or had this insulin resistance level, or just even overweight, it threw them off, right? And so mm -hmm. um, so we ha we've had a recent increase in the number of people with type 2 diabetes. And I think we've seen it nationally in talking to- do you, feel, do you feel that that can be reversed? if they have the opportunity to eat properly and exercise properly again? That's, that's a hard one. And so, so we've, from what we've seen, um, you know, you can, and just like adults, and I'm sure you've seen that too, is, you know, you can sort of, if they start on insulin and they start following recommendations, they sort of get weaned off insulin and we start this oral medication called glucophage or metformin and follow diet and exercise recommendations they can come off insulin but usually it's it's not it's just a few years and then eventually mm -hmm. you know, back, they yeah. will need to go on insulin um so yeah so it's it's um but hey you know to buy a few years off of insulin that's that's a win yep. too doing the right thing right? and unfortunately right financially it's a big thing too because absolutely it's as mind-blowing how, how expensive that is. It is. It's, it's really sad. Yeah. So anything else you would like to say to people? Um, let's see. I'm, I'm not sure what you tell me. I am happy to talk about anything. Yeah. Well, I'm just, you know, you're, you're a working, a working doctor with children who are fairly young, I gather. How yeah. you you can talk about that too? You know? Oh how's, yeah, how's it how's it affect your mood? <laughs> <laughs> well, I try to schedule some me time. That's a that's always a challenge. But yes, I do have a six year old a six year old um, daughter who's going on thirteen, and a nine year old um, sweet young man um, who is just the sweetest boy. Um, so that helps a little. <laughs> but yes. It is a challenge with a full-time job and as a single parent, but yeah, um, I, I wouldn't have it otherwise. I love my job. I love what I do. I love helping people and um, I love spending time with my kids. And is your, your schedule's reasonable. You, you have that, you know, you don't get called um, into the ER too often at night. No. And then that's something nice about, yeah, that's, this specialty in it specifically in that you know you when you're on call you're on call um and you do rounds and and see patients on the um in the hospital but you don't necessarily have to you can give recommendations overnight mm -hmm. well, and you don't necessarily have to go in unless in very very severe cases mm -hmm. that we get called in um you never know but yeah generally yeah yeah, yeah. So, it's, but, it's, but so you've achieved certain amount of work-life balance, whatever the heck that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't complain. Yeah, it's it's very decent. Yeah, and so. and your your kids don't pull at your heartstrings too often. You're always going to work, mom. Oh, they do. <laughs> <laughs> Especially my daughter. She's like, 
oh, mommy, but I'm sick too. Right. I'm like, I have to go to clinic, honey, but I'm sick too. <laughs> I see. I got that from, from my eldest when he was two. I said, well, mommy has to go to, back to the hospital because um, one of the little children got sick and I have to go help. And he said, but I'm a children too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they know how it works. Oh. <laughs> say comfrey programmed to say things like that. <laughs> oh. Uh, he's he's now in his 30s and a doctor too so now he gets it the other way <laughs> he gets it the other way that's awesome <laughs> hey back time yeah but yeah no this has been wonderful yeah well i this is a set it's is the myth the magic medicine and two doctors just talking if people want to listen that's great <laughs> It's been very helpful. I would, I, I did look at your blog, I must admit, I do see a lot of, I get way too much email, but I, I did take a quick look and I will go look again and I will look for the recipes. <laughs> <laughs> One drink recipe. But yeah. 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 Tell me what you think. I'd love any feedback. So that'd be great. Thank you very much. So, Thank so lovely you. to see I you. Nice to see you again. Thank you. It was lovely talking to you. Thank you for joining us at Myth Magic Medicine. If you have found this episode useful, you can apply for free CME credit through the link provided in the transcript. If you're not a medical professional, please remember, while we're physicians, we're not your physicians. So please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one. Until next time, bye-bye.